afternoon, everyone. Last, the last hurrah, huh? the last hurrah. Let's just take a moment and place ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to receive the more that He desires to pour out upon us in this in this time together. We might experience more deeply His love, but also experience more deeply His call in our life to be people of great generosity and graciousness. Father in heaven, we come before you this day and thank you for your love and you know, for your presence in our life and the meaning which you give to our lives each and every day. As we gather today, we help us to see more clearly our lives as being one not of, of scarcity, but one of great generosity. So that all we do, all our thoughts, words, and deeds, might not only be a generous giving back to you, but really glorify you and and build your kingdom in this world. We make our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, I recently read an article when I was kind of preparing for this talk. It was about a couple, a married couple who were in their 80s. And they had a net worth of over $20 million. Now imagine a net worth of over $20 million. And this financial advisor was, was with them as this financial planner and spent a lot of hours with them, kind of giving them a little bit of clarity on, 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 on many questions that I had, you know, how much was enough and how much is, how much is enough for their heirs and what should they be doing for others. And you know, over the course of the meeting, their estate and capital gains taxes were all eliminated. This by this, what this planner was doing for them. And now they were in a position to give more money away than they could ever possibly imagine huh? to charitable causes. It was just a matter of implementing the plan. And suddenly as they thought about this, the wife blurted out, well, what, what if I get a chronic illness? Then what? You know, so after hours of, of, of yeah, so after being confident and having enough money for the rest of their life, now this fear took over. Like, what happens now if this happens and I don't have enough? She was worried about running out of money. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't know too many people would be, you know, if they're 80 years old and they have $20 million, they'd be thinking about running out of money. Um, but that was a worry, you know? Because paradoxically, this scarcity mind increases. You know, families with massive resources start placing their trust in the provision and not the provider. I mean, how much of the world today operates through this lens of scarcity? And as such as with money, it can be with our time and talents and treasure. But so, you know, they might think, well, I don't have anything to offer. But how often have I heard that when we try to get people involved? I don't have anything to offer. It's a lens of scarcity. Or I'm afraid of not having enough time or enough resources. Well, how will I then have enough time to do what I want to do? Um, or will I have enough money to provide for my family? You know, this, this, I think this is a question for all of us to really to reflect on. Do we view and live life through a lens of scarcity? or through a lens of provider? Do we live life through a lens of fearful giving or gracious giving? Which is it? So today I want to spend a little bit of time kind of focusing and exploring these questions. And I'm in the time that we have, I want to look at gracious giving in a biblical sense. Um, and from a stewardship lens, I want to talk about maybe perhaps some of the obstacles that which keep us from gracious giving and, and then how we can perhaps overcome some of these obstacles. Um, so, you know, these guys that have been speaking to us, they're phenomenal. Their talk this morning was, I've never heard a clear talk on stewardship of, 
and st connecting stewardship and discipleship. They kind of stole, he kind of stole some of my thunder. Um, but that's okay. So I don't have to repeat all that stuff, right? But we do know that stewardship is not about money, right? It's not about a program, something we implement. You know, programs have a beginning and an end, right? They have a start date and an end date. We can choose to be a part of them. We don't have to be. That's a program. And you know, they have a set of goals and clearly defined, you know, ways to reach those goals, you know. So that's, that's not a, that's a program. That's, stewardship is not that. It's not a concept about time and talent and treasure. Um, in the pastoral letter on stewardship from the bishops, it says uh, stewardship is defined as the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, okay? And when it says when we accept our lives as sheer gifts, you know, not in general, happiness and sadness, right? You know, pain and suffering, are they all gifts too? When we accept all of these as sheer gifts, the Spirit can use use us as apt instruments for spreading the gospel. I mean, when is the last time you rejoice in your suffering? That's what we're called to, right? So wherever the Spirit works, there's joy. You know, Chris talked about that. Good stewards are always joyful bearers of the good news. Real people, that means it's not coming out. It doesn't necessarily mean we're not joyful. It just means the Lord to teach us or help us to come out. Because um, that's what we want it to be. Your joy changes people, okay? So, uh, so stewardship, as we know, is the heart of Catholic spirituality. It's, it's, uh, it's at the heart that makes us disciples. It's a way of living in this Holy Spirit. Um, and if we are not alive in the Holy Spirit, I said this morning, if we are not on fire with the Holy Spirit, then we will not live as we are called to. We will not be the disciples to whom Jesus calls us to be. We will live more in fear than in faith. If you've ever been to my confirmation homilies, I talk about fear and faith, you know, they're not compatible with each other. It's like water and oil. If I'm, not, if I'm living in fear, I'm not living in faith. And if I'm living in faith, I don't have any fears. Hmm? So the only way to move out of our fear is to move through it by inviting Jesus into it with us. Not say, oh, just Lord, take it away from me. But Jesus, come and be with it in me. Because if something is taken away, it won't be transformational. If Jesus is invited into it, he transforms it. Huh? So fear is not a bad thing, it's just how we live it and what we do with it is what's important. Because I think that will bring a tepid community of faith into a vibrant community filled with intentional disciples of Jesus. Okay? So real stewardship requires this transformation from an attitude of scarcity to, you know, of like, will I have enough? Do I have enough? I have nothing to offer to one of abundance. Lord, you have blessed me more ways than I can possibly think of or imagine. So it's from a spirit of vehicle stewardship a, a, a little bit. You know, in Psalm 24, we hear these words, The earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's, and all it holds. The world and those who dwell in it. It's all the Lord's. Right? So if we begin with a mindset of this, of this, of this mindset or this heart set, it's, you know, God creates everything, right? And then he puts Adam in, in the garden to work it and to take care of it. So it's clear that man was created for work, and that work is the stewardship of all that created. Email he created they. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then he says, have dominion. Have dominions on the earth. Have dominion. Not domination. Not domination, but dominion. And it's a royal word, and it's the dominating, it's the dominating rule of, of a king. But it has to be understood not in the sense of what... Because that's us on a mission to exercise right. And what does the dominion look like? The dominion is in the image and likeness of God. You and I have it. Not domination, but as, as the dominion in the light. It's in this coronation psalm. This is what it looks like. He delivers the needy when they call. That's dominion, not domination. He delivers the needy when they call. The poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy. 
from oppression and violence. He redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. That is dominion. Relate that to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. Right? When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. That is dominion. That's the dominion which you and I have been given. And so, of stewardship is that God owns everything. We're administrators acting on God's behalf. Doing what God does. Right? Doing what God does. With what God has created. This is the starting point. You know, in the, bit, in the document, the disciple's response, it clearly sums up the heart of stewardship. It says, a disciple is both a learner, because we have to learn these things, right? That's why we're here. A learner and a companion of Jesus Christ. A learner and a companion, as well as one open to the movement of the Holy Spirit towards a gracious generosity of hearts. Is the needy to share those gifts and blessings we own. It's all to be managed. Managers, not owner. Radha. Two parties involved. Two parties involved. And this is from a biblical standpoint. First of all, the master who hands out the resources, right, and who will one day ask for an accounting, that's clearly in the gospel, and the steward who is entrusted with the resources and must eventually answer to how they were invested. It, you know, I found this talk this morning by um, Chris to be, be very challenging. You know, really to do that. Part of discipleship and, and stewardship, and it's at the very heart of who we are as disciples of Jesus. But, and there are obstacles. There are lots of obstacles. And a lot of what he talked about today was from the treasure standpoint. But it's time, talent, entitlement culture. Right? We do, and we're all affected by it, whether we... And because there's such inequity in, in our world today, this feeds into the entitlement culture. A person who gets a good education feels entitled to a good job, making lots of money. Right? That's our culture today. A culture of instant gratification. Your needs need to be instantly met. We feel entitled to that, right? But what about this one? I don't want to work for it if, I can, if it can be given to me. The way it is, this feeds into it. Our kids always have to have the latest and greatest, and the most and the best. You know, it makes sense to me. It's an entitlement culture, and we can rationalize why things like that is important, or why we should do this. I mean, we can rationalize everything. Or what about this? I want it because everyone else has it. That's syndrome, right? I mean. It's hard to tell your kids no, right? It is. But it's okay for you not oftentimes. It's just easier to give in. In culture, your kids feel entitled. I guarantee you do. What would happen if you took their cell phone away? What would happen? Huh? They would go berserk because they feel entitled to it. Or just what, what's their response when you say no? You know, they're by something. How do we respond? You know, if I'm frustrated by something, I respond to that situation. Do you respond? Do I respond in a spirit of gratitude? Well, thank you, Lord, for this miserable experience I just had. You laugh. But that's the appropriate response. You know? I'm not sure, Lord, what you were trying to teach me in this, but I know you will use it for, for, the, for my greater good. That's gratitude. huh? That's a spirit of gratitude. Um, but I would suspect that's not what happens when you and I are feeling entitled, bothered by something. We feel entitled not to have a miserable experience, right? Because perhaps entitlement means to be suffering free. Right. Original sin, everything they could possibly ever want, everything. They needed absolutely nothing. And Satan tempted them, oh, you can be gods like God. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I kind of, we feel entitled to that. So even this original sin, I think, comes out of a sense of an entitlement. 
The second thing is like secularism. I talked about that earlier, but it's, it is the new religion of the day. And it's basic, it says, I can manage everything nicely without God. Right? Or we need something, or we're in trouble. In praise and thanksgiving and love, Lord, I'm here just because I don't want anything. I just want to be in your presence. The last time we did that. So the secularism has taken hold of us, okay? And the core values related to that is a rampant consumerism. Let me read you this quote from this. He's a sociologist of religion at Princeton. He studied stewardship in the church and discovered that preachers, they do a good job of promoting Folks still don't get it. The folks in your parishes still don't get stewardship. They don't get it. Though many of us, he says, are well-intentioned, we have invested our lives in consumerism. We have a love affair with the more, and we will never have enough. That's consumerism. So consumerism is not simply a marketing strategy. He says, it has become a demonic spiritual force among us. And so the theological question facing us is whether the gospel has the power to help us withstand it. I agree wholeheartedly. It is a demonic spiritual force that's convincing us. And it does itself. He uses marketing to do this. You need to feel more respected if you get this. This will make your life easier, right? That's why we buy things to make our life easier because we live out of a pleasure pain principle. The other thing is materialism, right? We live in a material world and it's those material things that we believe will make us happy. And that basically denies the existence of God. That we don't need God, God is not important. Hedonism is another one. In other words, it's the pursuit of pleasure. It's the me syndrome. You know what? What will satisfy my passions and my needs and my appetites? And this radical individualism, it's about taking care of ourselves. You know, so life's fulfillment comes from within and is determined only by me. That's radical individualism. In other words, success has become independent from God and dependent upon me. And we manage our lives as though they're our own. And then, of course, narcissism is an inflated sense of self-importance. There's an excessive need for admiration, extreme selfishness, disregard for feeling of others. The inability to handle criticism, sense of entitlement. You know, this, this can all drive our spending as well. So this is our culture today, right? This is our culture in which we live in, whether we like it or not. But if we're living this life in the Holy Spirit, I believe, and we're, we're asking for a, a renewed pouring out of the Holy Spirit on our lives every day, we can see, we can begin to see these things for what they are. We can, because the Holy Spirit always gives us eyes to see what is the real truth, the spirit of truth. I will, Jesus, I will send you, this, send you the spirit of truth. Okay, so that's why it's important. Um, but all of these are obstacles to gracious giving and living this life of generous stewardship. It impedes us from becoming who God has called us to be. When Christians do good things, they do them not to get away, to get anywhere. They do them because they have already arrived. In other words, they are already filled with gratitude for the many blessings and the unconditional love of God, even when they have fallen short. And this is William Williman, and he says, I believe of God's goodness give generously. They do so not to gain influence or to impress others, not to meet a budget, or fill a committee. They give generously because they already have already been convinced of God's goodness, of God's love, and their inherent wealth in the kingdom. They've already convinced of that. Are we convinced of that? So what are some of the remedies? I'm going to share with you three things that will help us live more this gracious giving. First of all is to develop a true spirit of gratitude. I mean, we experience moments of it, or we have these fleeting moments of it, but for most of us, this is not the pervading attitude of our daily lives and our inner disposition. I mean, how many of you get up this morning praising and thanking the Lord for that lousy night's sleep on that bed was not my own? 
That wasn't me because I slept on my own bed. But getting, you know, but getting up every morning, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this gift of life today. You know, I don't know what you have for me, but I'm so grateful. Huh? Now imagine if we woke up that way every day and we went to bed every night. Lord Jesus, you have been so precious to me today because you have filled my life with so many gifts and blessings and graces in all the various moments that I have, have had this day, the good ones and the bad ones, you were ever present to me, even if I didn't know. But it's hard to live there because we live in an entitlement culture. We're affected by it. We're affected by it. But if I'm living in the spirit of gratitude, I won't, I won't be or become I won't be turning to others or to the world for my happiness and fulfillment, but I'll be turning to the Lord. Right? Remember Jesus' invitation to drink from the spring, well, the springs of living water? This invitation is never ending. But lead me, before I begin like my morning office, my morning prayer, I spend time in prayer and ask Jesus, Lord Jesus, bring me to a deep place of resting. That's what he wants for us. We have to ask for it, though, too. Yeah? And we'll never find our deepest happiness in the things that, believe me, we do try hard, don't we? Spirit in this? You know, how do we know the Holy Spirit? Well, if we're seeking more and more and more, that's not Holy Spirit related. It's not. And we could. It's not going to help me on this, on this journey toward heaven. You know? But we're all by into it. I'm as bad as the next person I know I am. Okay? But the, so the search of spirituality lets us reclaim the spirit of, of gratitude in our lives. In other words, you know, God is sustaining us and blessing us with all his gifts, with all, our, with all the gifts and talents and fortunes of life, all of them. And so gratitude allows us to see all of these things, all of these things, but lets us see them in others as well. When I'm living in the spirit of gratitude, for what God has given to them. Huh? That's more than us. Huh? That's, but it, that's hard, but that is the spirit of gratitude. And it leads us to a whole new engagement with the world. Right? So when we truly live in gratitude for what we have, we desire less. We desire less. We don't have, the, we don't have to have the latest and the greatest, and we're willing to give more away. If I'm deeply grateful for all I have, I'm willing to give more away because I know it's all God's in the first place, my time, talent, treasure, we're willing to make greater sacrifices for others. Our possessions don't possess us, but we hold them. We hold them as if they belong to God. And when that happens, we won't. We take care of ourselves first. Hmm? And if we think about it, gratitude is at the very heart of the Eucharist. The very heart of the Eucharist. The very heart of Jesus in relation to his Father. I mean, in the beginning of the preface, what do we have? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give our duty and our salvation. Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. Right? Truly right and just, it's our duty and our salvation, you know, to live in the spirit of gratitude. So I think this, and through that we acknowledge our total dependence upon God. We see that everything in the end belongs to him, everything. And we never fear of not having enough, never. And therefore we're, we're more free. We're more free to give more away. We're more free to be more generous. We're more free to give graciously, okay? The second thing is that living in the spirit of generosity. Because of Adam and Eve and original sin, we lost that spirit. Of, we've lost it. Or at least it's been compromised. Why? Because of fear and selfishness and greed and self-interest. Part of it all. You know, I think fear is at the heart of all. Because it's such an antecedent to faith. You know, people oftentimes aren't more generous because of fear of running out, right? We don't give more because we're afraid we will have less and we're going to run out for the fear of not having enough. 
or I'm frightened of the future. I don't know what's ahead. So I'm going to hold back. Right? What if I run out, then what will I do? If I run out, what are my kids? Or whatever, the, whatever, whatever that comes to our minds, you know, in our, in our thoughts. What if, you know? And, you know, we might not be conscious of this, but I think oftentimes there's something that drives our actions subconsciously. Because whatever is in our hearts, I'm sorry folks, but for better or for worse, it will always come out in our actions. It will. If generosity and gratitude is in my heart, it's going to come out. If fear and frustration, that's what's in my heart. If that's where my heart is resting, it's going to come out somehow in some way. And I won't say unfortunately because I think it's a good thing. It keeps us constantly reflecting upon whatever's going on in our hearts. Um, but I think the reality is that people in the pews don't give sacrificially. Right? I'm not talking about tithing. I mean, they use tithing a lot, but then if I think from a Catholic faith perspective, it's sacrificial giving. You know, if I make a million dollars a year and tithe 10%, that means I'm living on $900,000 a year. You think that's going to be hard? You think that's going to, I'm, I'm going to suffer as a result of that? No. So it's not so much about tithing, although that's a beginning start, but it's about giving sacrificially. You know, sacrifices must hurt, right? Otherwise, they're not a sacrifice. I, I bet this hurt, right? I bet that hurt because it's a sacrifice. Sacrifices are meant to hurt a little bit. Huh? Love is meant to hurt a little bit. True and deep love, it's meant to hurt. Otherwise, it's not love and it's not a sacrifice, you know? But why, why don't we give sacrificially? Again, because it goes back to, to the fear that we won't have enough. Or it's not planned. I mean, how many people in our pews have been given the same $10 for the last 30 years every week? And their income has gone up exponentially. But they're giving, and, so, and if that's the case, then their, their, their giving has diminished. Right? But they're in a habit. We're happy creatures of habit. Well, I've always, this is what I've always given. This is what my parents gave. Right? I was that way. When I started working and started putting money into the collection, I was like, oh, I just patted myself on the back because I gave $5 a week. You know, it aren't, you know, and I know they make more money than I do. Grateful, I'm going to give in a sacrificial way. And as I begin to realize this and think about this, and I thought, you know, I'm, this, I'm, this, I'm very selfish. I'm not going to bust me. Ends of scarcity. What if I run out or what if I don't have enough or what if I don't have enough to get what I want? You know, but that's, that's because that's our mindset. What if I don't have enough money to buy the car I want or the car I think I need, which is always not the car I really need. You know, it's, it's, so, I mean, so that's the mindset. We're afraid. Or people, you know, they are afraid they won't have enough of retirement or they won't have enough to give their kids. I mean, how often have I heard of what? than I have. That's a beautiful expression of love from their parents. I think that's, that's good and holy. But what does that teach when it comes to gracious giving or a life of stewardship or a life of discipleship in the heart of Jesus? You know? Because when, when we want to give, have someone's life be better than what we grew up with, what my parents gave to us, sometimes that's, at the, that's as clear. And second of all, it diminishes our life as a disciple in some ways. It's more on a worldly, that's more on a worldly thing, you know. So I've talked about fear and faith is not be stewardship way of life, my faith issue. I mean, think of, I love that story. I love that story. You know, he could walk on water, but what does that mean? That means that he could do what Jesus could do. Right? Son, Jesus, he, you can walk on water. Have you ever tried it? I have. It doesn't work. <laughs> you know? As the scriptures say, these, he says, and noticed, and he noticed the strong wind. He noticed the strong wind. He became frightened. Fear. See what fear does? 
and he began, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, how of little faith, O ye of little faith. Why did you doubt? Peter was living from a lens of scarcity and not abundance. He had abundance right before his eyes. He was doing what Jesus could do, something that was miraculous, this fun abundance. When his eyes was focused on Jesus and they shifted. And he felt the external world around him led him to fear led him to go to a, a lens of scarcity, huh? So in other words, he asked him, why did you give in to fear? Huh? Why did you doubt? Why did you give in to fear? So if I live in faith, I have no fear of running out. If I live in faith, I have no fear of not having enough. If I live in always living gratitude, and God will always provide for me. And then I will be living my true identity, which is the identity before the fall of Adam and Eve. Right? I need nothing. I'm completely satisfied. God will always provide. You know, because God feels responsible for you and me. Do you know that? Let me say that again. I think it's beautiful. God feels responsible for you. Right? I mean, think about this. So you parents, you created a child, right? right? Or children, right? Don't you feel responsible for them? You know, you want what's best for them. You're going to give them all that you can. God created. He feels responsible for us. Do you think he's going to let us go? He feels responsible for us, even though we are sinners. Just like you feel responsible for your kids, even when they disobey you. He will always take care of us. Experience that. Into his way. So we don't have to worry. We can give it all Chris gave this morning was remarkable. That story about that girl. Do we, I mean, really, do you believe that's true? Do you believe that can happen? Then why don't we live that in our life? If we, oh, isn't that a beautiful story? Well, that can happen to us. You know? It can happen to us if we, if we step out in faith. You know? So when we live in a spirit of generosity, whether it be giving our time, talent, treasures, or sacrificially sharing our treasure, we live in the very image of God, so to write in. We look and act just like God. And looking just like God. Now, how many of us want to do that? Act and look like God, huh? And so gener generosity puts our lives in order, in the proper order. You know, it sets us free. We're no longer possessed by what we have. And we're free to give it away. And this fills us not with secular happiness, but it will fill us with true Christian joy. How many of us want that? Huh? And this was brought out this morning. True generosity means we don't give because there's a need. That collection at Mass, it's not because the church wants your money. It's because there's, in my heart, in my heart, I'm so grateful for all that the Lord has given to me. So this is... All the gifts and blessings. So this is one little way that I can make a return to him. There's a deep desire within me to give back to the Lord for the goodness that I have received from him. The deeper gratitude, the more we'll give away. It's simple as that. It's not rocket science. The deeper, the more deeply we're grateful in faith and trust, the more we'll give away and not worry, you know? And it's for, because for me, it's my return to the Lord for his great sacrifice for me. So when I give to help build the kingdom, it doesn't matter how it's used. I mean, he talked about that this morning. People, well, how are you going to use this? I don't like the way you're using that. Well, you give it away, it's no longer yours. And who cares? It's God's money anyway, right? And don't you think leadership can kind of determine where this money is best spent in your parishes, you know, but we always put limits on it. We never give unconditionally, hardly. You know, just take it. Do with it whatever you want to, you know. If that's our, you know, if we had that kind of a mindset, then we'll give more away and more will be done because we don't care what happens to it. 
And besides, if whoever we give it to, the, the parish, the pastor's in charge, right? So he'll be held accountable how that is done in a, in a, you know, what's done with that and how it's used to build the kingdom. It'll be his accounting, right? But it's not just about money. You know, this is, a, this is about time and talent and treasure. You know, what, if, whatever we is placed in the Lord's hands, whatever it is, our time, talent, treasure, whatever is put in the Lord's hands, he will use it to build his kingdom. He will transform it into something we can't possibly imagine. So we have to stretch our imaginations. We have to stretch our way of thinking. Huh? Anything placed in the Lord's hands in gratitude will be received by Him in thankfulness and then returned to us many times over. We just heard those stories this, this earlier today. But we have to have faith and trust in order to give that way. Okay, now let's go to the spirit of trust. So living in the spirit of trust, I think it's perhaps one of the most greatest challenges of these three of these three things. Because the spirit of trust was lost to doubt in the Garden of Eden. As Adam and Eve gave in to the doubt proposed by Satan, right? They no longer, they no longer, they no longer trusted in God's promise. They gave in to Satan's falsehood that God was a liar and could not be trusted. And the ramifications of the fall of Adam and Eve are still very present in all of us today, in all of humanity. So living in the spirit of trust requires living in the present moment. Living in the now, okay? Not in the past and not in the future. Right? But in the present, how hard that is, isn't it? The life of a faithful and generous stu steward in, in general is living in the present moment. You know, so much of our life is lived in the future. Right? Our consumeristic society helps us to live in the future. So we, we go to work, why? So we can get paid. Why? So that we can save for the future. We spend a lot of time preparing and worrying about the future. You know, for example, cancer runs in my family. I can spend my days worrying about if it's going to show up in my life in the future. Or people with heart problems, it can be hereditary, right? People worry, whatever it might be. Another example, you know, we're always thinking about what's coming next. We're living in the future. <laughs> if that's where we are, then we're not living in the present. Living in the spirit keeps us living in the present moment. Living the spirit of trust is also difficult because we are forever living in the past. We think of the past and how it might creep up on us again. Right? In other words, something from the past, like an illness or bad luck, is going to repeat itself. This robs us living in the present. God is in the now. The kingdom of God is already gone. The kingdom to live in the present. We always have to, we have to live in the now. Everyone knows who from or where, you know. Nest egg, right? The day I take on your nest egg is you know, the Lord asked her to invite her to do phenomenal things, right, in the kingdom. And she did. And when the Lord asked her to do something, she never worried about where the money was going to come from. She never worried about that. She lived in the spirit of trust, which is in the now. And God never, ever disappointed her. He never let her down. Does that mean she always got money? No, it doesn't mean that at all. You know, from her vantage point, if the money didn't come, then for her, it was God's way of saying, well, this is not my will. And she totally accepted that. That's fine. Because she lived in the now. Living in the spirit of trust helps us to live our true identity. Trust, like faith, keeps us from living in fear. 
My friends, the kingdom of... And so if we view life through a lens of scarcity, we will always be fearful and anxious. And we won't be able to live in the spirit of gratitude. We won't be able to live in the spirit of generosity. We won't be able to live in the spirit of trust. It won't, and grace's giving will flow from our hearts. Because we're living in deep faith and trust that God will... Pro A scarcity mentality is not of all that God has generously put into our hands realm, then we're able to look at the world beyond. You know, the apostles before the resurrection, they didn't, get, they didn't live. They, 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 they lived it through a lens of scarcity. How do we know that? Remember the story of Jesus feeding the right? What did they have? Five loaves and two fish. What did they say? Jesus, we only have five loaves and two fish. Right? That's a lens of scarcity. We only, Lord, we only have, we only have this. This is all we have. The three pillars of stewardship, at the, and that's at the heart of it to be. So, and the spirit of trust, then gracious giving will become very much a part of who we are. Very much a part of who we are. Very much a part. And God provides the grace for the steward to love at an even greater depth so that we can be as generous as God is. And don't we all want to be as generous as God is? Hmm? God has made us for greatness. He sent Jesus to lead us as individuals, as parish communities, as a nation, as a world to that greatness. And Jesus is the foundation of this stewardship way of life. It ends, begins and ends with him. Hmm? And it's only an awakened heart that will convince a person to embrace the life of stewardship and gracious giving. You know, if you think about how can I come to the Eucharist every day, every week, and not embrace a life as a faithful steward? How can I do that? The Eucharist teaches us the way of stewardship. The Eucharist is this great sign and agent of charity where we are taught how to receive from the Lord and then give our lives away in sacrifice. The word Eucharist comes from a Greek word, Eucharistian, which means Thanksgiving. The whole Mass, from beginning to end, is our prayer of Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving that we offer to the Father. We come to give thanks and then we receive the we receive from the depth of God in this beautiful encounter. And when we come to the act of charity, we participate in the stewardship of Jesus himself. The Lord Jesus has given us all that he is, his very self in totality. So our, our participation in his act of charity implies that we bring all that we have, all that we are, which is everything that God has given to us, all that we hope to become, and we unite ourselves and all of these beautiful, tremendous gifts huh? and blessings to Christ's saving sacrifice. And then having received from this very altar of love, having received from Christ's own stewardship, if the celebration is sincere and thorough, then it will lead us, each of us, in discovering and living out our true identities as faithful stewards, a steward uniquely his own, but united as one in the body of Christ. Okay? So gracious giving leads us beyond. God's generosity transcends our stingy nature, and he gives, continues to give each Forgive even when we continue to clutch right, what we believe is rightfully ours and we don't want to give away. We don't realize that when we release this grip, when we give all that we have without pause, that God gives back to us in abundance more than we possibly can imagine.
Thank you. Any, any questions, comments? Concerns? We get it, right? We all get it. We all get it. I think we all get it. But the question is, will we go out and do it? That's the challenge, you know? We can get it here, but until it gets here, we won't go out and do it there, right? It really has to come from our heart. Whatever's in our heart comes out in our actions. So no matter how much we think this is great, it's all up here, I get it, I understand this, it makes sense to me, you know? But until we, it comes here, it won't come out there. Well, we know what Jesus asks of us, invites us into. And, you know, sometimes the sermon, I, you know, I understand your question. Sometimes the sermon is trying to figure it all out. And sometimes the sermon holds us back. Well, I'm still discerning this. Instead of just taking a step forward and see if this is what God wants. And he'll make it clear if it's not. He will. But sometimes the sermon holds us back. Because we're, I want to make sure this is what God wants. Well, are we ever 100% sure this is what God wants? You know, when you married your spouse, were you 100% sure this is the person that God chose for you as your spouse? Were you 100% sure of that? But you, I don't think so. When I was laying on the floor of my ordination, was I 100% sure this was what God was wanting me to do? 100% with no doubt whatsoever. No. But it's an act of faith. I believe in my heart of hearts, this is what he wants. You know, there's, it's hard to have 100% certainty with God, other than... Huh? It's always easier when we have less. You know, I remember a conversation, so I don't remember, I was at a conference somewhere, and there was a, a, a woman who lived in a, in a third world country, living here, going to school here, and... Um, someone asked her a question, something about, um, you know, wouldn't you want to live here and have all of this stuff? And she said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, because she saw what the secular culture in which we live does to relationships, does to families, does to our selfishness, does to our entitlement, attitudes. She says, I don't, why would I want that? You know, why would I want that? I have something far better at home. Where we have family structure, where people love one another, you know, they don't need all of this stuff. And she says, no, I wouldn't want to live there, live here. And that also got me always thinking about, you know, but that's true. You know, but getting back to your question, you know, discernment is, yeah, we can discern something, but at some point in time, we got to get off the fence and say, I believe this is what the Lord's inviting me into, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off the fence and make the decision and see where it goes. And if it's not the Lord, you know, He will steer us, you know, but we have to have confidence that He will, you know, that I'm not making a mistake. I said, we can't be afraid to make a mistake. Because if we're, we're afraid of making a mistake, we're not living in fear. Or we're, we're not living in faith. You know, so it's just saying, I think this is what, you know, I'm going to, this decision, I'm going to do it because I think this is what the Lord wants me to do. I've prayed about it. I've asked the Holy Spirit to enlighten me. I don't have 100% clarity, but that's okay. There's peace in my heart. And so I'm going to make the decision, whatever it is, and see where it goes. That's discernment, you know? There might be little steps until the Lord kind of gets us on the track that he wants us to be on. But if we never take the step because we're going to discern some more, then we'll never go anywhere, you know? The Lord doesn't want us to sit on the fence. And we do it so often because it's a safe place. It's safe and comfortable on the fence 
to jump off the cliff. I don't know, that's not very comfortable, right? But when we jump off the cliff, I'm, I can be certain the Lord is there waiting to catch me. The question is, do I have trust? Do I believe that and do I trust that? I'm saying for the future, do you kind of just be reasonable and hope for the best and give away what you think the Lord wants you to give away? The Lord is inviting us to sacrificial giving, whatever that looks like for any of us. You know, he doesn't care about savings. Yes, we need to provide for our future in a I mean, it's not that we just like, okay, you can have it all, and I'll just kind of look like Mother Teresa. I'll, I'll just live every day and wait and for the, wonder where the next meal is coming from. He's not inviting us to do that, you know. But He is inviting us to be generous and not hoard. We hoard because we're worried about our future, right? We do. And so saving for the future, there's nothing wrong with it. I save for my future because I don't want the diocese to have to take care of me. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But I also give more than a half a percent away to charity every year. You know, that's, that's disproportionate, you know. That's really disproportionate. You know, so we have to look at it all and put, put things in, put things in a, in, a, in, a, in a balance through a lens of faith. That's what we, that's, I mean, that's what we're being called to. You know, I was, gave a stewardship presentation in Davenport and some retired woman asked me, she said, I, I can't give very much away. I'm on a, I'm retired and I'm on a, on a fixed income. And I said, well, I know the Lord knows that. But doesn't mean you're, he's not calling you to be generous, you know. But there, she was afraid she was going to run out. And that's the whole thing. We're afraid we're going to run out. We're afraid. And if we, if we live in fear, then we're not living in faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And that's, that's what he's inviting. We're living in the future. She was living in the future and not in the present. And, and we're called to live in the present. Because this is where the Lord is, it's in the present right now for me. He's not in the future because I'm not in the future. He's not in the past because I'm not in the past. I'm in the present and the Lord is with me right now in the present. So when somebody lives by the day, you know, financially, but they keep themselves totally in their talents and their time, how does that it's okay? Well, you have to, I mean, that's, that's a, an, an, a person has to decide, determine that individually through prayer. You know, if, but if I'm living a life of a steward, there's three, there's three legs on a stool, time, talent, and treasure. If I'm hoarding my treasure and giving time and talent away, that stool's not going to stand up. Right? It won't. And I won't be living a life as a faithful steward. It's easier, sometimes it's easier to give time and talent away than our money. It is. Sometimes it's easier just to write a check and not get involved in anything, right? It is. That's not, that's not a life of stewardship. Many people can write a check and they can write big checks, but they don't. They write little checks and they never give time and talent either because they're hoarding, they're afraid of the future. They're afraid their kids are not going to have what, you know. I mean, it's, it's kind of, that's where we live, but that's not where the Lord wants us to live. So this living, this gracious generosity is a great challenge in our culture today. For every single one of us, no matter how holy we think we are. Can I give away more? Absolutely. Should I be giving away more? Probably. Will I give a, be giving more away? Hopefully. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs>